0: Alright, if you've got a Bible, Daniel chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We'll post it here on the screen. You can follow along there. If you're a guest with us this morning, thanks for being here. Uh, glad you could join us. We started a brand new series of messages last week called God and Culture. And the idea behind this group of talks is that we live in a world that's very antagonistic towards Christianity. I find it somewhat ironic because we hear all this talk in the media about tolerance, but tolerance doesn't mean the same thing it used to. The word has been redefined. Tolerance used to mean granting others the right to be wrong, whereas today it means that nobody is wrong. And those who dare claim that there is some things in the world that is morally wrong, they are written off as intolerant bigots. Suddenly they become the one group nobody is tolerant of. So my hope for us in these weeks together is to learn how we can live faithfully where faith has been largely taken out and conviction has largely been taken out of our culture. Also somewhat ironic, rain on your wedding day, uh, a free ride when you've already paid. But uh, also the fact that we're reading through a book of the Bible... Daniel. Yet the entire premise for the series was based out of a sentence a man named Jeremiah wrote. Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel. He wrote the book named after him in your Bible. He was taken captive from Israel, sent into Babylon, just like Daniel. And Uh, Instead of him getting even, God wanted him to get involved. And he wrote a very helpful passage of Scripture in chapter 29. Uh, It says, build houses, get married, have kids. But then I also want you, verse 7, to pray for prosperity within the city. Because when the city prospers, you too will prosper. That is the entire premise for this series. I want us to figure out how we can help the world prosper so that in turn we too will prosper. Like, how can we be so in tune with what God is doing that we affect every area of life around us? And the good news is, Daniel writes an incredibly helpful manual that will assist us in this endeavor. And so just a quick recap, Daniel is kind of a punk kid from Newark, New Jersey. He and his mom moved to the Rosita area of uh, Los Angeles, California. It just so happens the maintenance man there, he's kind of eccentric, gruff, but ultimately kind. He's a generous Okinawan man uh, named Mr. Miyagi. Uh, Those are my karate kid notes, I apologize. Daniel's son, Cobra Kai the devil, Johnny Lawrence, whatever, doesn't matter. Uh, This Daniel that we're talking about from our Bible... He is taken captive from Israel. He has is moved from Babylon. He's required to study their culture. He's put in their three-year university program studying the occult and astrology. He's been set up in the king's palace kind of as an intern working for the king within this level of magic that he's learned. And that's where we're at in Daniel chapter 2. I titled my message this morning, Running Down a Dream. If you're not old enough to recognize a Tom Petty song when you heard one, right, and just get out, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, don't do that. Stay. But, uh, but get, like Spotify it, Running Down a Dream, the, ent- the entire Full Moon Fever album's is fantastic. Uh, won't Back Down, Free Fallen. don't worry about that. Okay, here we go. Daniel chapter 2, let's get started. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, long live the king. Tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be burned into heaps of rubble. Apparently, that was a fairly common practice back then. They called it quartering. They would slit you at your joints with a sword in your shoulders and in your knees, and they would tie your wrists and your ankles up to horses. They would charge the horses up until... You know, you like pop out your quartering. Okay, you get the idea. I was going to bring in a pop-up book if that would help you, but, you know, pull the tab. It's okay. Uh, but he he went on to say, "But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means." They said, "Again, please, your Majesty, tell us the dream. We will tell you what it means." The king replied, "I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time because you know I am serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed." So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind. But tell me the dream, and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means." The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream and they do not live here among the people. That's too bad. Anybody else glad that our God does live among His people? That he can do the impossible. How sad that the Babylonian God didn't care enough about his people to show up and live amongst them. Verse 12, the king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. Those are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you know the story. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. You might circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do. Wisdom and discretion. Imagine if you handled all your situations with wisdom and discretions instead of wailing and drama. That would be something. Verse 15, he asked Ariok, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Ariok told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king, requested more time to k- tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home, told his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or their real names, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them His mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed with the otherwise wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was was revealed to Daniel in a vision, not a dream. A vision is when you're awake. A dream is when you're asleep. Daniel praised God of heaven. We're going to read what he says in a second, but skip down to verse 24. Then Daniel went in to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Ariok took Daniel quickly to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret, but there is a God in heaven, come on somebody, who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I'll tell you, dream, the visions you saw as you lay in your bed. We're not actually going to read the dream, there's a, a section of scripture you need to understand, chapter seven through ten, in order to make the dream more sense. What you need to know about the dream today is that the dream came true. Uh, God always does what He says He's going to do. Verse forty-seven. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all his wise men. In other words, just like Jeremiah wrote, when the city prospers, you too are going to prosper. Daniel did what was gifted to him, and in turn, God blessed him. So essentially, our entire story hinges upon a dream, apparently a pretty troubling dream, because Nebuchadnezzar said, I have had a dream that troubles me. So that was just there. Okay, I didn't come up with that. Uh, but have you ever waken up from a dream where you're like, what? What? Like you've been troubled by a dream. Anybody ever had that dream? Like how in the, what? I remember one time dreaming that my skin was like shredded mozzarella cheese. And I started pulling on it and it would like, it would come off like a, like string cheese. And when I woke up, I was pulling out the arm hair, you know, in my, in my arm. And i like woke up. I was like, what, why? Why would you do that, brain? You know, like, what dream am I... Ha- why? I don't know. Dreams are weird. Like, have you ever seen a dog dream? It, that happens. You know, they start barking in their sleep. They start running. Their paws are going crazy. It's like, what do you have to worry about? <laughs> you are a dog. You sleep in my house, on my furniture. I feed you at the same time every single day. Who are you even barking at? You know, you have no enemies... There is nobody out to get you, dog. You, I don't know where it's dogs, okay? It's better than cats, though. We all know that. Uh, come on, right? But uh, did you know in ancient Egypt, as far back as 2000 BC, Egyptians wrote their dreams on papyrus. People with vivid and significant dreams were thought blessed. They were considered special. Ancient Egyptians believed that dreams were like oracles, being messages from the gods, and so they would induce or incubate dreams. E- the ancient Egyptians would go into these sanctuaries and sleep on special dream beds in hopes to receive advice, comfort, or healing from the gods. Did they need a you know totem? Did they have a kicker? Does the top fall down? Nobody really knows, but it was happening even way back then. Uh, why do we dream? Uh, perhaps you felt like God has spoken to you through a dream. Maybe, maybe that's the reason. I don't think uh, most people would ascribe this to God, but dreams have become such a fascinating element within the world that they've become a scientific field of study. Researchers are asking the question for hundreds of years, trying to figure out why do we dream? There's currently five commonly held beliefs on why people dream. First, according to Finnish cognitive scientists, we dream to practice responses to threatening situations. They say we dream uh, in order to rehearse behaviors of self-defense in the safety of nighttime isolation. You don't get hurt in your dreams, so you're practicing the flight or fight scenario in the real world just in your dream. Uh, Another reason we dream is because dreams create wisdom. If we remembered every image of our waking lives, it would clog our brains. So our dreams sort through memories to determine which ones they want to retain and which ones they need to get rid of. Sleep turns a daily flood of information into the stuff that makes us smart for when we come across future decisions. Uh, how do your dreams know which memories to keep, like which ones are going to be helpful and which ones aren't? I have absolutely no idea, neither do scientists. Okay? Uh, in that same field of thought, people believe dreaming is like defragmenting the hard drive on your computer in order to make it run better. Sometimes you've got to defragment that mug. Uh, just take it to a guy. I have no idea how to do that. But Francis Crick, who discovered the structure of DNA, said dreaming is su- shuffling old connections that allow us to keep the important connections in erase the inefficient links. In other words, it allows your brain again to delete some of the old memories that are slowing down your operating system. That's why you can't remember some of the things you did as a kid, but you know, some of the other ones you can remember. The fourth theory is that dreams are like psychotherapy. Dreaming puts our difficult emotions into pictures, and we're able to deal with the emotion in a safe place. Plus, it saves you like $200 an hour, you know, for the, for the therapy session. So that's nice. You know, best therapy I ever had, Dream. Thank you very much uh, for the string cheese dream. Finally, there's what they call the absence of theory. This is probably the weirdest. Some folks argue that dreams have no meaning at all. They're just a random firing in the brain that don't happen to be conscious at the time. Seems like a convenient scientific theory. They're just like, uh, you know, I would have been like to have been in that planning meeting where like dude, we have no idea what dreams mean. Let's just call it the absence of theory. And some other guy in the back, he's probably young intern. He's like, why don't we just tell him we have no idea what it means? And they just beat that guy up and they're like, no, it's called, you know, absence of theory. And so uh, that's what they went with. But ultimately what I'm getting at is people don't know why we dream. It just happens and we haven 't even talked about some of the other stuff you do, like sleep walking or sleep talking what language like if you 're bilingual, what language do you dream in uh, that 's always a fascinating thing to think about or daydreaming we didn 't talk about daydreaming, but uh, sometimes God does speak to dreams, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and Uh, He was very troubled by the dream, but he recognized that the dream was important. The ancient Babylonians, like the ancient Egyptians, believed that dreams were messages from the gods. Thus, a right understanding of any dream was critical to their future. In this case Nebuchadnezzar contained uh, believed that his dream contained an ominous message for him. He feared that this was a strange revelation, so he demanded an interpretation. Again, to understand the finer points of the dream, we need to understand Daniel's chapter 7 through 10. We're not in 7 through 10 today, so we won't discuss much of the dream. All you really need to know is that, again, the dream comes true. The point I was trying to make last week God is in control of those who are in control, nothing is a surprise to God. The Bible reminds us that all things work together for good for those who love God are called according to His purpose, which means God brought you here today not by accident, but to let you know that He sees you. He knows what's going on. He knows the deepest parts of your heart. He knows the dreams that you've had, not just your nighttime dreams, the things that you long for, the things that you want, your, your deep, heartfelt dreams. And God is not surprised by what he sees. Uh, he is not stupefied. He's being strategic in how he brings those things come to pass. There's a method to his madness. And like Nebuchadnezzar, it's okay for you to look for answers. You might want to know what some of these things mean that you've experienced in your life. It's okay. You can ask God. He's a big boy. uh, And he'll let you know the answer. Draw this down if you're taking notes. Nebuchadnezzar didn't need an explanation of what he saw. He needed a definition of who he was. Uh, He didn't just need an explanation of the dream. He needed to understand who he was, and God was trying to do that through a dream. You might be interested to know that Nebu is the Babylonian god of wisdom. So the name Nebuchadnezzar means God of wisdom, protect my son. Uh, Again, kind of ironic. You might think that Nebuchadnezzar's dad was like, this kid's an idiot. You know, like, God of wisdom, please protect this child. You know, you had that child? Uh, They need some help. Uh, The reason it's important for you to understand that is because when you go to small g gods, you'll never get your answer. We learned that with Nebuchadnezzar. That's the problem because when we're confused by something, we'll always default to what we know. Nebuchadnezzar tries to deal with his dream the same way he dealt with everything else. Coercion it's what he knows when befuddled he went with brutality when bewildered he went with bloodshed to find his answers he trusted people instead of providence Nebuchadnezzar was broken up over this dream but all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Nebi together again you know what I'm saying but are we not the same in all of our responses Are we not equally apt to put our faith in small g gods? Oh, if I just had more money. That would solve all of my problems. Oh, if I just lived in this neighborhood. Oh, if I just got the kids into this school. Oh, if I just got this promotion at work. Oh, if I just married this person. I mean, we'll go to a doctor whose name we can't pronounce, who has degrees we never verify, who gives us a prescription we can't read. We'll go to a pharmacist we've never met who gives us a chemical compound we don't understand, yet none of us ever hesitate to do what the bottle says. And I'm not saying don't go to doctors, right? I like doctors. We have doctors who come to this church. I'm saying don't trust the doctor for the doctor's sake. Trust God that he's leading the doctor to help you and thank God for the doctor when they prescribe something that works. Do you see the difference? We need to be trusting God. Don't trust what you know. Trust who you know. Because the moment you start trusting your knowledge, what should be a place of rest will become a place of torment. We see that with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's wealth, his fame, his fortune, it did nothing for his discomfort. That's because treasure can do nothing for your torment. Wealth can do nothing for worry. Money does not cure problems, it reveals them. You know, uneasy lays the head who wears the crown. Why? Because they know eventually it all comes to an end. Because it all, uh, we're not immortal. You're not set up on a kingdom forever. Nebuchadnezzar, as I like to call him, he was anxious. He was sleepless because he thought this dream spelled the end for him. But he was ready to do whatever it takes to stay on his throne, kind of like us we'll do whatever it takes to stay on our throne. We'll hide whatever we need to hide. The Nebuchadnezzar problem is our problem. Somewhere in the midst of his struggling with the security of his kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar was also wrestling with the same questions we all face. What's the point of this? What does this mean? Is God real? What does my life mean? Why am I going through this? These are the ultimate questions. Nebuchadnezzar was insecure because he didn't have an answer to those questions. He was running down a dream, but he didn't need an explanation of what he saw. He needed to know who he was in Christ. You don't need to know a definition to your dreams. You need clarification on Christ. You need to understand who Jesus is and what he has done. How do I know? Because Daniel got it. Compare and contrast Nebuchadnezzar's response to Daniel's response. The king feels like his life is on the line. That's what he thought he saw in his dream. Daniel knows his life is on the line because Arioch said, I'm about to kill y'all. Yet, who remained calm? Daniel. Daniel risked his life for God because he'd already given his life to God. If you are a Christian, the same is true for you. Like you've already died once, what do you have to be afraid of? The Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the message of Jesus. That's because Jesus can fix everything that's in your life. All your past mistakes can be forgiven. Because Jesus did come to this earth. uh, Because he did dwell among his people. Our God did live with us. Your life can be forever changed. The old has gone. The new has come. The moment you believe Jesus has changed your life, that He is God of the universe, that He came and walked on this earth, He lived a sinless, perfect life, yet He was still crucified to take on the punishment that we deserve, yet He three days later walked out of that grave. That changes your entire outlook on life. When you understand the promise of eternity, you're no longer afraid. There is no fear of men. That's what we see from Daniel. I think the question for us this morning is how did Daniel get to the spot that he was so at peace with his life that even staring death in the face, he was not worried? How did he get there? Uh, You might write this down prayer needs to be our first response, not our last resort. How did Daniel get there? He understood the power of prayer, prayer was his first response not his last resort. In the middle of a literal life and death crisis, Daniel and his friends plead with God to preserve their lives. And God's revelation of the dream was granted in response to Daniel's petition. This demonstrates the principle that believers should not grow weary in prayer, for God hears and answers their cries for help, even when Their cries are for selfish reasons. Look at the boys' reasoning for prayer. Verse 18, so they wouldn't be executed like the other wise men. They didn't have Nebuchadnezzar's interests in mind. You know, they weren't after God's glory by saving Nebuchadnezzar. They just didn't want to die. Sometimes it's okay to pray a prayer like that. Just for the record, Daniel also illustrated the necessity of collective prayer as he summoned his friends to join him in the prayer. See, there seems to be special power promised to believers when they worship and pray together as a group. That's why I want you involved in a group of other believers because God has promised us to work and move on our behalf when two or more are gathered. You see what I'm saying? The problem is most people only pray when trial and heartache come. And then they wonder, why do trial and heartache come? Uh, Because it's the only time you'll talk to God. And it's the only time he'll hear from you. And he wants to hear from you. And, you know, the reason Daniel and his friends went to prayer immediately then is because they had been doing it immediately before it had become a habit. They'd seen God do things before. They expected God to do something again. It's also a problem for people, though. In my experience, most people believe God can do something without trusting God will do something. And there's a difference. It's called faith. Romans 12.12 says to be faithful in prayer. And so the question I want to try and answer with our remaining time together is how do I know if I'm doing that? How do I understand if I'm being faithful in prayer? Because people will tell me, I feel like I believe, Pastor. How come God is not answering my prayer? How do I know if uh, I'm being faithful? You might want to write this down. What's your perception of prayer? Uh, is it just for kids? Now I lay me down to sleep. You know, God is good. God is great. Is prayer just for kids? Is it something you do before bed or before you eat? Is prayer just for preachers? You know, they're supposed to, you know, that's what they get paid for. Come on, you know, they need to earn that paycheck. Everybody start praying to somebody. Uh, has it become in your life just something rote and meaningless? Because James tells us the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And Paul writes in the second Thessalonians to never stop praying. When presented with a problem, Daniel believed prayer was the solution to his predicament. So again, what's your perception of prayer? Do you believe God will move on your behalf? Do you believe prayer works? Uh, we're a praying church, just so you know. We believe God answers prayer. Uh, nobody wanted to say amen to that, which I'm surprised by. I feel like I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. It's getting lonely up here. But uh, Maybe you should ask yourself, what's your perception of God? Uh, if prayer is not Working. What is your perception of God? Look at how Daniel responds after they prayed. God gave them the revelation to Nebuchadnezzar's dream. This is verse 20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kingdoms. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Here's a comforting message for believers today. There is a God in heaven. A God who supplies wisdom and provision far beyond what is available from any human resource. God wants to move on your behalf for His glory and your joy. Although circumstances may look impossible from an earthly standpoint, there is a God in heaven who can do all things. He can solve seemingly insolvable problems. He can provide strength for impossible situations. He can provide healing for incurable diseases. He can restore broken relationships. Am I preaching to anybody today? He can bankroll bankruptcy. You know what I'm talking about? Like he can cure the uncurable. God hears when you call out to him. There's a God who will cast out fear in any situation. Our God is big. Our God is powerful, which leads me to point three what's your perception of the problem is your problem bigger than god then your god is too small you you say no 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 none of that is my issue pastor you've already alluded to my issue the issue is what if god doesn't answer my prayer i've been praying he hasn't been listening now oh, that's a different problem that's the problem of you believing you know better than god As if your way is the best way. As if the only possible solution to your problem is the way that you want. Because what if God already answered your prayer, just not how you wanted? It reminds me of a biblical character named Job. Job was a man who had everything. Literally everything you could ever want. want, And suddenly it was all taken away from him. His friends, his family, his children, his wealth. He starts to question God about it. And God's like, where were you when I formed the stars in the sky? Where were you, Job, when I spoke the mountains onto the earth? Where were you, O mighty man of valor, when I created billions of light years of stars and universes and created everything that we know? Makes me a little nervous for Job. The prophet Isaiah in 40 verse 12 wrote, who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and the hills on his bathroom scale? Like you get in there and you're like, what the freak? And God's like, I'm weighing mountains on this mug. Like, are you kidding me? Like I'm I measured the billions of miles in this universe with my with my pinky finger. Like I've been here since forever, and you think you know better than what I know? It's a rhetorical question. The point is, yes, your problems are real, yes, your sufferings are painful, yes, your dreams can be confusing, but God is big. God is capable, and listen to me. God is good whatever you're going through do you really believe that do you really believe God wants to move on your behalf do you believe the Bible when it says the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is fully devoted to him because listen if Daniel teaches us anything it's your progress is dependent upon your petitions You know, if you want to move in life, are you persistent in prayer? That being said, in just a second, the band is going to come up and close us in a song. But as I do, I want you to notice something specific at the end of our chapter here in Daniel. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret to me. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position, gave him many valuable gifts. See, Nebuchadnezzar didn't want his God, he just wanted what his God would provide. Uh, but notice the order of of things for Daniel. Uh, accomplishment followed the acknowledgement prosperity for Daniel followed humility. Only after Daniel brought glory to God did God bring joy to Daniel. So listen very carefully carefully to me. When you do what God has given you the ability to do, it doesn't mean you'll get rich. It doesn't mean you'll get everything you want. It doesn't mean every single one of your prayers are going to be answered the way you want. Just because you've been faithful to God doesn't mean you'll never face hardship or suffering or difficulty what high position and valuable gifts that are referred to in Daniel means for us as Christians is you get God. You get adopted into His family. You get the eternal glory of heaven. The Bible makes it clear that success for God is when you serve. Jesus said, "When uh, those of you who want to become great, the, the great ones among you are gonna be the ones who serve just as the son of man came to serve not to be served to give his life as a ransom for many so if you get nothing else that i say you have to get this you should never underestimate what god can do with the dream in your heart but it requires service on your part god put those things in your life for a reason so run it down Do whatever it takes to accomplish the things that you feel like God has called you to do. Just remember you need to pray first. And remember you need a definition of who you are. And you are a child of God. You're more than a conqueror. You're powerful. Jesus said you're going to accomplish even greater things than the things that you saw in in Scripture. Ephesians says you can do even more than you ever thought or imagined. Some of you are held up on doing such trivial things, and God's like, Is that it? Like, is that all you're asking for? I measure the world with my finger. I held oceans in my hand, and the best thing you can do is ask for a promotion at work? Like, I dream big believe God that He wants to do powerful things. He's looking for people to move on His behalf, so it'll bring Him glory, and it will also bring you joy. Set out to do what God has accomplished in your heart. Just do it. Act. Move. Get people in your life. Pray. Do great and powerful things. Do you believe that can happen? I believe it can. Let's pray. God, again, we're so thankful just for the opportunity that we even have to come and gather in this place. We believe in your name. We believe in the power that you possess. And we've come and we've gathered as a group to start praying to you to move on our behalf. God, I know there's a lot of problems in this room even today. I know there's a lot of situations that need your help. God, I know there's healing that needs to happen. I know there's financial situations that need help. I know there's marriages that need to be restored. I know there's kids that that just have a lot going on. I just know that there's culture ripping us and tearing us in all kinds of different directions. And I'm just praying for you to move in a powerful way. Uh, We want our souls to be at peace as Daniel was at peace. And we know that that starts with your son, Jesus. If you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed still, uh, you quieting your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to accept Christ into your life. Because this peace that we're talking about is reserved for believers in Jesus. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth, be- mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who He is, that He is God, that He did what He promised to do, which is which is save you from your sins by dying on a cross and raising from the dead and beating sin and death. You can be saved. There's nothing magical that you have to do. You just have to trust in Jesus. I'm going to give you a chance to confess those sins to God right now. Just follow me in a prayer in your heart and just say, "God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I've sinned.'m Sorry, I've not lived the way you've wanted me to live. But I believe in Jesus. I believe in his power. I believe in his saving work on the cross. He's made me new. Thank you for saving me. God, thank you for all the lives represented here this morning. Thank you for the stories that you're weaving together. You are in control. But I know there's a lot of peace and pain, or I know there's a lot of problems and pain in this room right now, God, and I'm just asking you to give us peace. Make it well within our soul. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray these things. Amen.